0: question for you ever been somewhere where you felt like you didn't belong uh i was one time i was on a trip with a a group of other pastors and i apologize i'm going to have to take just one quick second um i left the clicker down below actually carlos could you just run the PowerPoint for me thank you sir all right i apologize for that um I was on a trip with some other pastors one time, and I, I was on a plane, and I, got, I thought I got the best seat on the plane because I was sitting between two guys that I really respected and admired, and I remember asking a question, and when I asked the question, they started answering, what I realized really fast, these guys are a lot smarter than I am. As a matter of fact, I realized I, I don't even know some of the words they're using. I was kind of mentally taking notes in my mind, and I thought to myself, I don't belong in this seat. There's got to be a seat for the remedial student somewhere here where I should be, where I could talk to people on my level, because I was just lost. And actually, what I thought was I always lived by the adage of it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and confirm it. And so, what I did was I just sat there for a while and just took notes and listened, but I realized the whole time I don't really belong. In this seat, Maybe you've been somewhere like that where you, you've gone somewhere and you thought you were getting one thing. Maybe one of your friends invited you to like a, a friendly pickup basketball game. And you show up and after the third elbow to your face, you realize this isn't the place for you. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I played one year of high school football. I had never played football before. And I showed up for football practice and we lined up for tackling drills. And they lined me up against a guy who'd been playing since he was probably two. And he was, he was an animal. And I just remember thinking, I don't belong here. I was looking for the exit from the first minute of practice. Now, I did make it all the way through the season, but I was looking for the exit at that moment. But you know, the time that I feel the most like I don't belong is often when I'm sitting at home in my own living room watching the news. Every once in a while, I'll turn on the news and I'll see what's going on in the world, and I'll think to myself, I don't belong here. I think to myself, I don't understand what is going on in the world around me. I am totally at a loss, and I just don't feel like I belong. Any of you ever have that feeling? Sometimes I just sit there and I just think, Lord, come quickly. Now listen, I'm going to look at a passage today. We're going to look at a passage that I think helps us understand a little bit of why that is, that we have that feeling sometimes. When we're looking at the world around us, we have that feeling that we just don't belong. We're in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be reading the first four verses, and then we're going to go from there um, through the rest of the chapter a little bit. But I want to read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 for you. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I want you to understand, Paul Paul starts out this chapter here, and he starts out with some really heavy theological points. He starts out by telling us some things that are true about us, and I just want to walk through those those points real quick to help us understand what Paul is saying is true about us. First thing he says, in verse 1, he says, we have been raised with Christ. Now, I know In most translations, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. But I want you to understand that if there isn't really an if. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur calls that if there the if of certainty. It actually should be translated or understood rather than if as since then. It's not a question mark as to whether you've been raised with Christ. But he's saying, if you, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been raised with Christ, then... And we know that that's the way it should be understood because if you look back in Colossians a chapter earlier, in Colossians chapter 2, this is what Paul says. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him through faith, I'm sorry, who raised him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, that he, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul is saying, "Listen, you brothers and sisters, you believers in Jesus Christ, understand something. You have been raised with Christ. When Christ conquered death, as we were singing about today, he not only conquered death. He, he not only conquered death for himself. He conquered death for you." And Paul says that when we come to a point where we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we participate in the power of that resurrection and we are raised with Christ at that moment. So, first off, we've been raised with Christ. The second thing we see here in verse 3, he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The second key point that Paul tells us about ourselves is this we have died. Most of us don't remember dying, right? But here's what Paul is telling us is this. At the point where we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we died to this world and we became alive to the kingdom of heaven. See, the interesting thing is, before we knew Jesus, do you realize before we knew Jesus, we were dead to God, but we were alive to the world. Matter of fact, that's what was also said in that passage in Colossians. It says, And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we die to the things of this world. We die to the flesh, and we become alive to the kingdom of heaven. And what that means, there are a couple things that happen when, we're, when we die. One of the things is when we die to sin, when we die to this world, we become free from the bondage of sin. You guys realize that before we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to sin. We could resist sin all we wanted, but it was only a matter of time before we sinned again. When I was in college, I worked as a security guard, and in that job, I worked with a lot of police officers because we'd have rowdy people come through. And what I always told people, is, the people would be rowdy, they would fight with the police, but the fight always ended at the same point. The fight always ended at the point where the police officer put the handcuffs on the suspect. Because at that point, they could continue resisting, but they were now in bondage the ending was, was understood. It was only a matter of time before they were put in the cruiser and driven away because they were in bondage. That's what we were like to sin before we knew Christ as our Savior. Before we knew Christ as our Savior, we were in bondage. We could resist sin. We could try to do what was right, but it was only a matter of time before we actually fell into sin again. But you realize that when we died with Christ to sin, he gave us the freedom to live righteous lives. We were freed from the bondage of sin. So we died, and it says not only did we die, but we are now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? It says that we're hidden with Christ in God. There are a couple of things that he's, he's aiming at here. First is this you realize that we don't see all of our life, there's a spiritual realm, there's, there's a part of our life that is hidden from us that we can't see. There's a kingdom of heaven that we belong to that we don't understand fully yet, and that part is hidden from us. But I think there's even a greater truth here. When Paul says, we are hidden in Christ, he's saying, we're secure in Christ. Christ is holding us. So we were raised with Christ at the moment that we accepted Christ as our salvation, and now we're hidden in him. In other words, he's holding us until the time that we come to see him again when he returns. And what's awesome about that to me is this, I'm not going to fall away from Christ, Christ is holding me in his arms, and my eternity is secure because of the fact that I have died and I'm hidden in him. The final final point he puts here is this, in verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Paul is saying, hey, listen, you've been raised with Christ. Now you're hidden in Christ. And someday Christ is going to return. And when he returns, you're going to come with him. You're going to be with him in glory. And he's pointing towards a future for us that is beyond anything we can fully understand. And that is the fact that Christ is going to return to this earth in glory. We're going to be with him. And we're going to spend eternity with him in his kingdom of heaven. These are three really big, really exciting things theological facts. Now, I want to sum them up for you because what Paul is really trying to drive at, he's trying to drive at one big point. He says, we've been raised with Christ. And when we were raised with Christ, now we're sitting in the heavenlies with him. We're hidden in Christ in the heavenlies. And someday Christ is going to appear and return and we're going to be united with him. And where we're now spiritually in the heavenlies with him, someday we're going to be physically in the heavenlies with him as well. And we're going to be united with him for all eternity. And the big point that Paul is trying to drive home to us is this. We belong to heaven. We belong to heaven. We've been saved. We've been raised with Christ. So in our past, our path to heaven has been secured. We are currently hidden in Christ in heaven. So even now, even now do you realize your present is in heaven? We often think of our future being in heaven. But you know what? Our present is in heaven. Because even now, we're hidden in Christ in heaven. And then, of course, our future is in heaven because someday Christ is going to return. And he's going, when he comes back, we're going to belong to him for all eternity in heaven. So our past, our present, and our future belong to heaven. You know what? That's why we don't feel comfortable in this world sometimes. Because this isn't where we belong. Now, understand, I'm not saying we can leave this world. I'm not saying we should all go live on the side of a hill and, and separate from the world or suddenly all become Amish or whatever else, what I'm saying is this, we need to understand we live with attention in that we belong to one kingdom while we're living in another. Now, these are big, heavy theological truths. And I want to, I'm going to confess to something that pastors are not supposed to confess to. When I went to Bible college, I did not like theology class. And the reason I didn't like theology class was really simple. I used to sit back in the class and say, how can you take something that should be the most exciting topic in the history of the world and make it so boring? (laughs) Some of you have been in theology class, okay. Um, And the reason I think we often make theology boring is because we don't understand what theology is all about. See, Paul was a master of theology. He understood theology better than anybody I think who's ever lived. And what he always did was he always laid a foundation of theology. As a matter of fact, in the book of Colossians, he spends two chapters talking about theology, theology, theology. And then in chapter 3, the passage we're reading here, he makes a transition. And he says, now that you know the theology, now that you know the facts, now we're going to put it into practice. Now we're going to live it. See, I'm a big believer in good theology. I believe good theology always leads to good action, and bad theology almost always leads to bad action. But one of the things we have to understand is understanding the facts is not the end of the game. What God wants us to do is He wants us to understand, He wants us to get these theological points, but then He wants us to do something with them. So here's the big theological point. The big theological point is that you and I belong to heaven. So what are we supposed to do with it? What are we supposed to do understanding that big fact? A couple of things Paul lays out for us here as to how we should respond to these truths and this big truth that we belong to heaven. He says in Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, again, since then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Okay. So the first thing we need to do, understanding that, hey, I don't belong to this world. I belong to the kingdom of heaven. The first thing I need to do is I need to seek the things that are of heaven. I need to make my goal to attain the things of heaven. And listen, what does that mean? When when we talk about seeking the things of heaven, the first thing we're talking about is seeking a deeper relationship with the God of the universe, seeking a deeper relationship with the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And how do we do that? There, there. We know these answers. We know some of these things. First thing we have to understand is if you want to have a deeper relationship with the King of the universe, with the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, it's spend time with Him in prayer. You have to spend some time with Him in prayer, seeking His heart, allowing His heart to be displayed to you in prayer. You have to spend time in His Word so that you know what He's calling us to do. His Word shows us how we should live and what we should do. We have to relentlessly pursue a relationship with the King of Heaven through prayer, through the Word. But we also have to do, there's another step that we often forget, It's not only understanding. It's not only prayer. It's not only understanding his heart. It's not only understanding his commands. The last step is obedience. It's not enough to seek his heart and know his heart. It's not enough to read his word and know his word. Then you actually have to put that word into practice. As a pastor, I'm sometimes asked to uh, do counseling. I'm not the world's best counselor. I call my counseling philosophy Cut It Out. It doesn't work for everybody. But here, I'll tell you what, if you go to a counselor, you know one of the things that's going to break down the relationship with your counselor? Is if you hear what he's calling you to do, if you listen to all his advice, and then you go away and you do something totally different. So I want to encourage you... It, we often say we seek relationship through prayer and through the word, and that's true. But you know what? If you don't then put that, pra- that into practice, you're going to break the relationship that you're trying to build. But we need to relentlessly seek a relationship with the God of the universe, with the king of the kingdom that we're, we belong to. We need to set, not only do we need to seek the things of heaven, we need to set our minds on the things of heaven. As we're seeking the things of heaven and we're setting our minds on the things of heaven, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to actually be looking for heaven's view on the things that are going on around us. How many of you got issues going on in your life? All right. What's amazing to me is how often we have issues as believers in Jesus Christ in our life, and the last place we look for the answers to our issues is to the, to the God of the universe. How often I'll have somebody come to me and say, hey, you know what? We have this issue we're all dealing with. I read this commentary by this guy who doesn't know Jesus this article that he wrote in some newspaper, and I think that's the answer. No, the answer is going to be found in the God of the universe. I'm, all truth is God's truth, and if it lines up with God's truth, that's great. But I want you to understand we need to be seeking the views of heaven on our issues. We need to be seeking, we need to be lining up uh, all, of, all that we're doing with his views. We must learn to view things from God's perspective. We, must, we, we have to get to a point where the things that make God happy make us happy. And the things that make us sad, or make God sad, make us sad. We have to be seeking his views on everything and allowing those views to become our views. So what Paul is really calling us to do here is this. He says, listen, since you belong to heaven, become heavenly minded. Since you belong to heaven, allow the the concepts and the ideas of heaven to permeate every part of your life to where that's what drives your thinking. Now, how many of you have heard the expression, he's so heavenly minded he's no earthly good. I'm going to suggest something to you. I actually think that's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't like that saying, and let me explain to you why. Because I don't believe it's possible to become so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Because what happens is when you get heavenly minded, when you start to see things the way that God sees them, and you start to live according to his views, what's going to happen is you're actually going to have a better impact on the world around you. Now, what I do think is possible is that we can engage in navel-gazing, and we can start talking about spiritual things so much that all we want to do is talk about these spiritual things, but we never actually want to put them in action. By the way, there's a word for that. That word is disobedience. Because when, God, when we learn the things of God, God always commands us to put them into practice. I think it's possible for us to uh, spend a lot of time talking about spiritual things, but not actually do them. And I think that's called laziness, but it's not called heavenly mindedness. When we're heavenly minded, it's always going to result in us doing the things that God has called us to do. We're called to become heavenly minded. What's going to happen is we, as we truly engage in, as we truly uh, embrace the views of heaven for our life, you know what's going to happen? Things are going to start to change. There's going to be action that follows this understanding. So let's talk real quick about what the results of heavenly mindedness are. Heavenly mindedness is, heavenly mindedness is always going to lead to changed behaviors. Look in uh, Colossians chapter 3 with me. In verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Paul, and this, by the way, Paul is now explaining to the people of Colossae how they're supposed to apply these these big truths. And he says, one of the things you got to do is you have to change your behavior. As a result of becoming heavenly-minded, your behavior is going to change. Because what's going to happen is as you become heavenly-minded, you're going to start to notice some of the things that you didn't used to think were a big deal are now a big deal. There's actually a really convicting phrase there. When he talks about these, these things and he says you need to put these things off, there's a convicting phrase. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I don't know about you guys, but as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't want to participate in anything that brings the wrath of God. And not because of fear, but because when I step back and I think about it, why did Jesus die on the cross? To free me from the wrath of God. Why would I then turn around and engage in the very behaviors that caused that death, that caused the death of my Savior? Paul is saying, listen, if you're heavenly minded, if if you've been risen with Christ, if you're hidden with Christ, and your future is in heaven, listen, you cannot continue engaging in these behaviors. As a result of being heavenly minded, we're going to see certain behaviors that we're going to be ashamed of, that we used to do. How many of you have something in your life that you did before you knew Jesus that you don't want to tell anybody about anymore? I have some stuff in my life that I used to do that I used to think was no big deal, but now that I've had a relationship with with the God of the universe, I look at it and say, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed I engaged in those things because God's changing behavior as a result of becoming more heavenly minded. And by the way, I want to make very clear, what's happening in your life when that's going on is the Holy Spirit's working in you, and he's pointing out to you, these are things that are not fit for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, not only when I say that uh, heavenly mindedness is going to lead to change behavior, listen, Christianity is not a religion that don't. It's not a religion that don't do this and don't touch that and don't eat that. It's a religion of grace. First of off, I want you to understand that your behavior will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. But also, there are some things that not only do we have to put off some things, we have to put on some things. And so Paul goes on in this passage, and he says, not only are we supposed to put off and put to death these things, but he says also that we're supposed to um, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, kindness. Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And what's going on here is the Holy Spirit is taking us and saying, Listen, remember, you don't belong here, you belong to heaven. These behaviors that I'm telling you to put off, those are the behaviors of the earth. And I'm telling you to put on the behaviors that are compatible with the kingdom that you're heading to, with the kingdom that you belong to. And actually, it's interesting. Paul uses a phrase here in the Greek, and the phrase is actually used for the idea of putting off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. And he's saying, listen, take off the filthy things of this world and put on the clean things of heaven. And I want to say again, these things don't save you. When you, put on the, when you put on the good behaviors, you're not doing it to earn your salvation. You're doing it because you are already saved. You're doing it because you've been raised with Christ. And the Holy Spirit is empowering you and allowing you to walk in these good works. So the, being heavenly minded is going to lead you to, being, to having changed behavior. The other thing he's going to do, not only is he going to change your behavior, heavenly mindedness is going to lead to a new attitude. Look at verse 11. Actually, before we go to verse 11, let me, let me say this. What's going to happen when you, when you grow in heavenly mindedness, when you grow deeper in your walk with the Lord, what's going to happen is your attitude towards certain things are going to change. I told you before I have certain behaviors that I did before I knew Jesus that I don't want you to know about. I'm not going to share them. I don't want you to know about them because they're, they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. But you know what's even more embarrassing than the behaviors I used to engage in? The attitudes I used to have the thoughts that used to work in my mind, things that I thought were true that I now know are not true. God, When God works in your life and when the Holy Spirit works in you to make you more heavenly-minded, he's going to change your attitude about things. biggest thing he's changes your attitude is this. When you become heavenly-minded, sin is no longer a laughing matter. When you become heavenly-minded, those things that, that, that you used to think were no big deal become a big deal because they're the things that cost Jesus' life. When you become heavenly minded, instead of pursuing the things of this earth, you actually start to pursue holiness. I'll be honest with you, before I knew Jesus Christ as Savior, I could see no joy in holiness. But when you start to see things from the, from the view of heaven, you start to see, a desire, you start to develop a desire for holiness. But the other, not only is he going to change your attitudes towards who you were and who you are and what you thought and what you did, you know what he's really going to change your attitude about? Each other. I think one of the biggest changes that happens when you become heavenly-minded is the way that you view the people around you. I want you to look at verse 11 of chapter 3 here. Paul says, here, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the world really, really likes to divide us. They really like to divide us into groups. They really like to, to, to get us all separated and all argue with each other. And you know, it's just amazing to me how many how many ways they'll divide us. They'll divide us by race. They'll say, "Well, if you're this race and this race, you guys can't be together." They'll divide us by politics. You know, Republicans and Democrats. They'll they'll try to divide you by the aisles. They'll try to divide you by nationality. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, hey, "You know, it's, it's America versus the world." You know what the only division that matters in God's kingdom is whether or not you're a member of the kingdom. The only division that matters is whether you're saved or not saved, whether you're a believer or not a believer, whether you're a saint or whether you ain't. That's all that matters. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, in the church there's no Jew nor Greek. Okay? What's interesting here, Paul actually goes into great detail. We often gloss right over this, but he actually destroys the whole world structure here. He actually breaks it down. He says, listen, there's no Jew or Greek, or Greek or Jew. The Jews had divided the whole world into us versus them. They said, well, there's us, then there's the Gentiles. Paul says, no, that doesn't matter anymore. He then then goes on, he says, you know, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Meaning, you know what, not only does your nationality not matter, but your religious practice doesn't really matter. He said, you know, you Jews who were circumcised that's awesome. You're a member of the kingdom. You people over here that weren't, that's awesome. You're a member of the kingdom. Since there's no, uh, there's no barbarian. By the way, he gets into a list here. He says, basically, there's no barbarian. You know who the barbarians were? To the Greeks, barbarians were everybody who didn't speak Greek. They said that, hey, everybody else's language just sounds like somebody going bar, bar, bar. And so they looked down on all of them, called them barbarians. And then the Scythians here, they were the barbarians of the barbarians. And Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a barbarian. It doesn't matter if you're a super barbarian. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not you're in Jesus. Then he gets down and says, doesn't matter if it's slave or free. So now he's even breaking down economy. He's breaking down the slave-owner relationship. He says, listen, all of you are in the body of Christ. He said, what matters is that Christ is all and that Christ is in all. Now, listen, I want you to understand, Paul is not saying here that your attitude should change to the point where you should say, well, nobody should embrace their identity. Nobody should embrace their heritage. Nobody should embrace their culture. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's not saying we're forgetting about culture because you know what's really neat? In Revelation, when we look into the throne room of God, it says there's someone there from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which means that there's some remnant of our culture still on us even through eternity. So Paul's not saying to get, rid of, to get rid of culture. He's not even saying that if there have been wrongs done, that we shouldn't deal with them. He's not, this isn't an excuse to say, well, you know what, in the church we're all the same. We still have to deal with issues that we have to deal with. But what he is saying is when we deal with issues, when we talk to one another, we need to understand that Christ is in us all and Christ is all. In other words, when we address one another, we don't address them based on our culture or their culture. And say, so, well, my culture is better than yours. But instead so we address them by addressing the Christ that lives in them. When we deal with each other, we deal with each other on the framework that Jesus is existing in us all. Heavenly-mindedness is going to lead to a new attitude in the way that you deal with one another. And the last thing heavenly-mindedness is going to lead you to, heavenly-mindedness is going to lead you to a new focus. In verse 17, Paul says, "And Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Paul says, listen, you've been raised with Christ. You are hidden with Christ. Christ is coming back for you. You belong to heaven. You should be heavenly-minded. And one of the things that should be part of your heavenly-mindedness should be this, our number one goal, our number one focus should always be the glory of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Our goal should always be about building the kingdom of God and not getting distracted building the kingdoms here on earth. We should understand that as believers, we're moving towards the heavenly kingdom. Someday we're going to spend all of eternity there. And so we need to be investing in building that kingdom now. And that needs to be our main focus. I was uh, sharing earlier, I shared a little bit about my age. How many of you remember back in the day when you couldn't re- record TV? There was no streaming services. And basically if you missed it, you missed it. Well, in, the, in the 80s... Um, when I was younger, there was a, they first started recording live television and you could buy one of two consoles in your, in your house, right? You had the VHS, which most of us at some point owned. I still actually do own a VHS. Um, and then the other one was the Betamax system. And actually, I've talked to people who were really into this at the time and everybody said the Betamax was actually the better system. What's interesting is eventually the VHS became the standard and everybody had it. Now, here's what I was thinking. Can you imagine if back in the 80s you were given the opportunity to pick one or the other and invest your money in, and you invested all your money into the Betamax system? That became obsolete a couple years later and lost everything. Or how about if we go back a year and you were given the opportunity to either invest money into some sort of in-person gathering device or into Zoom, Now, I know we all hate Zoom, we're all tired of Zoom and all that, but could you imagine how foolish you'd feel if you poured all your money into something else when you had the opportunity to invest in that? The point I'm making is this, we're heading towards heaven, and we have an opportunity to either invest in the things of this world or to invest in the things of the kingdom we belong to. Another another way to think about it, imagine if you were renting a home and you also had a home you owned and you came into a windfall, which one would you put the money into? None of us would be foolish enough to pour money into a rental that someone else owns when we could pour it into something that we own, right? It's the same thing we do every day when we decide that we're going to live according to the world's values instead of living according to, to the kingdom of heaven that we belong to. Don't miss the opportunity here on earth to build up the kingdom of heaven which is our focus and our goal. So listen, what do we need to do? We need to understand, first off, we don't belong here. And since we don't belong here, we need to become heavenly minded so we're building up the kingdom that we're heading to, the kingdom that we actually belong to, and we need to be be living for that kingdom. So how do we do that? I want to give you a couple things just to think about as we close here. I I want you to ask yourself two questions first. First is this. Have I been raised with Christ? I want you to ask yourself, have you come to a point in your life where you've actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Where you've actually allowed him to come into your life to rule and reign so that you can say you've been raised with Christ, so you can say you're hidden with Christ in heaven, and so you can say that someday you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. If you've never come to the point where you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, most of what I've talked to you about today doesn't really matter. Because we can't be heavenly minded unless we're first heavenly citizens. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to talk to Dennis, talk to someone else here, and let them explain to you how you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and confess your sins to him and allow him to come into your life and to rule and reign with you, rule and reign in your life for all eternity. But I want you to talk to somebody today if you've not done that. If, you, if you're sitting here and you're saying, yeah, Jack, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know I've been raised. I know that I'm hidden with Christ. I understand that my future is in heaven. Next question you have to ask yourself, am I a heavenly-minded person? Am I really seeking the view of heaven on the issues of my life, and am I really putting those, those views into practice every day? And I think it's a good thing for us to constantly examine ourselves and say, hey, you know what, am I really living a heavenly-minded life or am I living according to the rules of the world that I'm living in today? And I encourage you again, if you're living according to the rules of the world you're living in today, you're wasting a tremendous opportunity. But ask yourself, am I a heavenly-minded person? And then examine yourself. Examine yourself for attitudes and actions that are incompatible with citizenship in heaven. There are things that we're doing when we live in the world system that will not enter into the kingdom of heaven with us. They're incompatible with our citizenship as a a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Examine yourself, and if there are actions you have to put off, Paul actually says you have to put to death, then do it. If there are actions you need to put on or you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in, ask Him to help you grow in it. But examine yourself and say, am I really living the life that I'm called to live? And the final step is this. Surrender yourself and allow God to mold you into a heavenly-minded person. Listen, nobody is going to be heavenly-minded overnight. As a matter of fact, none of us are going to reach this perfectly on this side of heaven. But we have to surrender ourselves and we have to allow God to tell us what we need to change and when we surrender ourselves and allow Him to tell us what we need to change, we need to actually change it. We need to allow God to mold us into a heavenly-minded person for His glory and honor. As We close here. I want to I just encourage you with this. I truly believe that Satan loves when we live in the world system. I believe that Satan loves when he can get us focused on the things of this world and not focused on the things of the kingdom. And one of the reasons is this, Satan knows that when we get heavenly minded, when we actually start to see things from God's perspective, it's going to change us, it's going to make us more like Jesus, it's going to make us less susceptible to his wiles and attacks, but the other thing that's going to happen is as we become heavenly minded, you know, we're going to make an impact on this world that he doesn't want us to make. It's ironic, often we try to focus on this world thinking, if we focus on this world, we'll change this world. Actually, the only way we can change the world around us is if we focus on the world that we belong to. If we focus on the kingdom that we're citizens of. And if we focus on being good citizens of heaven, we focus on becoming heavenly minded, the world around us will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you saved us and you have made us your children. You've raised us in Christ. You've hidden us in Christ and you're coming back for us and someday we're going to be with you for all eternity. And we thank you that we look forward to that. But we ask, Lord, as we live here, that you'll change our hearts and minds. You'll help us to see the world we're living in today through your eyes and help us to live with garments and behaviors that are fit for the kingdom of heaven and not just to be fit for the kingdom of the world. We ask, Lord, as we, as we go through our week this week, that you'll work in our hearts and our minds to make us your ambassadors, to make us your representatives, and to help us to bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for your message. Thank you uh, for your ministry to us uh, this morning. Uh, Pastor Jack will be outside if you would like to say... Uh, Uh, Good morning or good afternoon or just thank him for his ministry to us as as we leave. Uh, Again, thank you for being here uh, this morning. Hope to see you next Sunday as well. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Go with the peace of God. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next week. God bless.